The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. I'd like to invite Michelle Hartman up to read our scripture this morning. Today's scripture reading is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. It is on page 948 if you're using the Bible in front of you. And would you stand as I read God's word? And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen, amen. Well, we are, have been working our way through uh, this letter written to some Jewish Christians known as the letter written to the Hebrews. And this morning, as you just heard, we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And so you can keep your copy of Scripture open right there. What we're going to do is just work our way right through, through these verses here, looking at what it means to be sons and daughters who've been adopted into the family of God and what it means to know the loving discipline of a good father who cares for his children in this way. Our sermon title this morning is just going to be called Treated as Children. Treated as Children, and that's just literally coming out of verse 7 there where it says, when you find yourself on the receiving end of discipline from God the Father, what he's doing is he's treating you as sons. He's treating you as sons and daughters who are truly in his family. And so the main idea that's going to land on us from these verses this morning boils down to this, that when God treats us as his children, treating us as his children, God the Father disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those who are his own. So what we need is the power of the Holy Spirit this morning to be able to hear clearly what these words have to say to us. One of the dangers of coming and submitting ourselves underneath the word is that we can fall into the trap that our brother in Christ James warns us about, where we just simply become hearers of the word and not doers. We come and we congratulate ourselves that we've just heard a word from the Lord, someone preached the Bible to us, and then we go home, but it's not enough just to hear. We want these words to change us, transform us, 
so that as we leave here and go out into the next six days and 22 hours walking as redeemed refugees saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we would go out with a distinct aroma of Jesus about us because we have heard the authoritative word of God preached. Your pastor can't do that. I don't have the power to make that happen, but I do know the one who does. And his name is King Jesus. And by the Spirit of Christ, we can hear the Word of God preached and be changed. So let's do that. Let's ask him to do this, and then we'll dive into these words before us, okay? Father, our aim is to see you magnified. We want to see the Son receive the praise he is worthy to receive. And so that is why we ask you, Holy Spirit, to to do what you love to do, which is set the spotlight smack dab, solely aimed on one person alone, and his name is Jesus. Holy Spirit, empower the preaching of the word. As it were, just grab me by the scruff of the neck and set me aside so that as the words that flow out of my mouth this morning, it would just be a simple demonstration of the Spirit, a demonstration of his power to magnify and cause the Word of God to land on us in such a way where it pierces us, transforms us, and changes us so that we would walk away more and more in love with the Jesus who died on the cross and resurrected from the dead so that sinners might be saved. Holy Spirit, do this. We're asking not so that we might receive the glory, but so that Jesus alone would receive it. It's in his name that I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we paused and we looked at the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Some pretty famous verses, if you know the letter written to the Hebrews. And it was there in those verses that we learned that the walk of faith can also be viewed as a long-distance run, sort of a spiritual marathon that anybody who's been born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus sets you on this race of faith, and then we talked about it in terms not of a sprint, but of a marathon, a gospel kind of marathon. And what we saw the author tell his audience and subsequently tell us is this, is that the men and women who are running the race of faith firm to the end are men and women who are identified by key characteristics. They are men and women who consider Jesus. They are men and women who look to Jesus. They're men and women who reject every weight in sin. Why? So that they might run the race of faith with endurance firm to the end. And the reason we must run the race of faith with endurance is because the spiritual marathon that we find ourselves in is not only marked by extraordinary highs, those mountaintop moments, but as all of us know, if you've been running the race of faith for any amount of time, you know the race of faith can come with some incredible lows. In the race of faith, the Jewish Christians who originally received this letter has been, they have experienced several things as a result of claiming Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and their race had been marked by some pretty, pretty unique experiences. The author tells us that they had endured hard struggles with sufferings, 
They had been publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, meaning not only were they having verbal blows laid upon them, but they were also on the receiving end of physical blows laid upon them because of their faith in Christ. They experienced the plundering of their property. People were busting into their houses and robbing them because of their faith in Christ. They had been imprisoned for their faith in Christ and ultimately made to suffer abuse just because they said, Jesus is king, he's my king, and my allegiance will be solely to him. So it makes complete sense that the author would say, I know what you've been tempted to do. I know you've been sort of questioning in your mind, man, my before Jesus days were marked by none of these things. My after Jesus days are marked by all of these things. And the letter says these Hebrew Christians were flirting on the edge of, should we go back to those before Jesus days so we can avoid all this stuff? And he says, no, 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 don't do that because God has only given one answer for your salvation. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. If you bail on Jesus, you basically bail on the only answer to your hope for salvation, eternal life found in him. So I don't want you to bail. I want you to run. I want you to run with endurance through the incredible lows And I want to see you sort of breast the tape, as it were, as you not only walk by faith, running in faith, but I want to see you die in that same faith. Listen, brothers and sisters, what we know, if you've lived life at all as a genuine Christian, claiming Christ as your Lord and Savior, what you know is this. To claim full-blown allegiance to King Jesus means this. Your life will not be easy will not be easy. There will be things that happen to you simply because you claim the name of Jesus. And then what you're going to see him talk about this morning is this, just because you now know Jesus as your Savior and God as your Father, that doesn't necessarily mean life becomes a whole a run of high fives and puppy dogs. It's not a bunch of perfume and rainbows because you're just following Jesus. Some of us have been tempted to believe if I come to Jesus, my life will be immediately made better. And no lows are ever going to come my way. It'll only be a series of mountaintop highs. The lie that these Hebrew Christians had begun to believe was that lie right there. They'd begun to slip into the place, okay, if God is my father, why are these things happening to me? Why do I not only experience the highs, but why am I experiencing some of the lows? If this is what it means to have God as my Father, to know the problems and to know the pains and to know the temptations and to know the hardships and to know the sufferings and the struggles and the trials, and all the, if this is what it means to have God the Father, do, do, do I real? Is, am I in it? Is, is this where I want to be? And the author is going to circle back around. And he's going to say, listen, don't forget. Here's something you need to remember. God, in those moments, is doing things through these circumstances that I can guarantee you don't know. And the fact that you're going through them is not a sign of his displeasure. The fact that you're going through them is actually a really, 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 really good chance that you're actually his son or his daughter. He's using these things to discipline you, to train you up so that you might run the race of endurance, not bogged down, remember last week, not bogged down with weight and sin, but so that you can strip off these weights, strip off these sins, these hard things bring stuff to light, and God says, see, you've been trying to run basically the equivalent of a spiritual marathon with Ugg boots on. 
You guys have a 100-pound rucksack strapped to you. You thought you could go and run the spiritual marathon with the equivalent of like a full-blown winter suit. And I guess you could do that. But he says, why would you do that? Strip it off. Chuck it. Get rid of it. And God uses circumstances in our lives to get our attention to say, why, why was I burdening myself down with these things? I'm going to strip this off, and I'm going to run hard after him. That's what these believers who originally received this letter needed to be reminded of. And brothers and sisters, it's just no different for you and I. We need to be reminded of these same things. Why? Because if we're not careful to guard our heart, some of us are here this morning toying with the idea that if my life looks the way it does because God is my Father, that's the claim you're making, that's the profession on your lips, I profess for Christ to be my Savior, thus I've been adopted into the family, meaning God is my heavenly Father, and this is still what my life is going to look like. You're sort of going, yeah, do I really want to be in this place? And the author is going to say to you, remember, be careful Guard your heart. Fight the spiritual amnesia that can settle on our soul and an amnesia that leads us to forget key truths concerning our God. While we, brothers and sisters, experience these things and these experiences of trials and troubles may feel like pointless punishments that some cruel and abusive Heavenly Father is just laying upon us, Cruel and unnecessary adversity, you know, that could have been prevented if God only had a care for his child. That's what we can be tempted to think in those moments. What the author wants us to know is we must not view the circumstances of our lives in this way. Why? Because in and through our circumstances, God may very well be using them as a means of purposeful discipline to see you conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus so that you might chuck off weight, chuck off sin, and run hard after Jesus with endurance firm to the end. So to drive this point home, the author is going to pull forward a new metaphor. He's been using the racing metaphor. Now he's going to dip into the bag of the family metaphor. And when the race of faith gets tough, one of the easiest truths to forget is that we've been adopted into the family of God. That you truly are his son and daughter. To be born again is to know God as Father means that you are truly a child in the family of God. When the Bible talks about those who are God's children, it talks about those who've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when the race gets tough, we can be quick to forget this. Again, we slip into that dangerous mindset. It's like, is this how God treats his sons? Is this how God treats his daughters? And so the author knows that this is the temptation that these brothers and sisters are flirting with. So that's why he says in verse 5, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, he says. In the race of faith, we must remember and not forget that we are children who've been born again into the family of God. And the deep desire of God our Father is to see his children run the race set before them firm to the end. And like a good coach... So dip back into your athletic days, or if you weren't that athletic, think about what you've seen when it comes to a coach training, let's say a runner, a runner who wants to run a long-distance race, and they want to run it so that they might win. Like a good coach, 
who disciplines this athlete or disciplines you for your good so that you might run that marathon with endurance and win, the author's going to say this is very similar to how God operates in the way that he relates to his children. We will build endurance to run firm to the end, not by a life of ease. Not by a life of ease but by experiencing discipline from a heavenly Father who uses the problems and pains along the race to train us for our good, to train us for our good. So how do we run the race and not forget? In other words, how do we obey verse 5? Do not forget the exhortation that addresses you as sons. The answer is by remembering. And the first point is this, remember God's word. That's verses 5 and 6. Look in your copy of Scripture there. Remember God's Word. Look starting in verse 5. He says, My son, he's quoting the Old Testament here, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. These words... On the lips of the author are a direct quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. So notice the opening gambit is, I see that you're beginning to forget. Let me help you remember what you know. And he pulls forward the Word of God. He says, you need to remember the Word of God in this moment. And what he reminds them and he reminds us is this, the importance of discipline. When discipline comes our way, it's because the Lord disciplines the one He loves, says Proverbs 3. Our natural intuition in the midst of heavily discipline is one of two reactions. The discipline of our Father comes our way, and we can either regard that discipline lightly, or we can grow weary from that discipline, weary of God's reproof. So on one hand, some of us have the tendency to make light of the Lord's discipline. The discipline comes, we become dismissive, we just shrug it off, sort of like a teenager who rolls their eyes at a parent's discipline, communicating, I hear what you're saying, mom and dad, and you can hear their eyeballs sucking into the back of their head, but what they're conveying to you in that moment is this, I don't need to listen to you. I know what you're trying to accomplish, but I'm treating it lightly, I'm shrugging it off. I don't want what you're asking me to do. The author says some of us can treat the Heavenly Father in that way. On the other hand, he says some of us have the tendency to become overwhelmed by that discipline. Overwhelmed by that discipline. We can be crushed by it or devastated by God's reproof, it says there. In that moment, they wrongly assume that being adopted into the family family of God meant a life of ease. So when any problems or pains come their way, they end up hating God because they wrongly drew the conclusion that He has forsaken them. Do you see the mind game that goes on there? If you come into the situation with the wrong mindset that adopting the family of God means nothing but ease, and then anything but ease comes your way, you could begin to go, okay, God, where are you at, man? I think you're faltering at the post here a little bit. If you're my father, you should not have let this happen to me. And he's saying, no, 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 we just need to rethink this. We need to remember God's word. We need to let the word inform us. Remember God's word, says the author. You have to remember this. So that you don't fall off the horse on one side or the other to the extremes, you must remember that the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. 
I know what your feelings, says the Father, but let this fact from my word inform your feelings. Far too often we let feelings override the facts and the truths of the word of God. And so he's saying, I want the word to inform how you might be feeling in this moment. You need to know this. You are my daughter. You are my son. I love you. And far from my discipline being a sign of my displeasure in you, what you need to know is this. My discipline actually verifies your sonship in my family. So as we run the race of faith, we must stay focused in the journey by remembering God's Word, and it's God's Word that calls us to remember God's fatherhood. So notice how he transitions out of Proverbs 3 and begins to just elevate the realities of fatherhood. That's point number two, remember God's fatherhood. This is verses 7 through 9. Just look in your copy of Scripture, starting in verse 7. It is for discipline, he says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And what you need to know here is that this isn't because he's leaving the ladies out. In the biblical language, the idea of adoption, being an heir, being one who receives all of the good blessings and treasures from the Father, in this time it was always just run through that language of sonship and sonship and sonship. And so what you see in the Bible is this, is that when it talks about being adopted as sons, being treated as sons, that's not only talking to 50% of the human population. What it's doing is this. It's actually very beautiful because it's saying any man, any woman who comes to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what they do is they find them in that realm where they know God as Father. They are His heir, and it's the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ that come raining down upon us. So don't look at your Bibles and go, well, how misogynistic of God. Actually, this is one of the most beautiful things that you could ever read in your Bible. God is treating you as sons. For, he says and continues, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You see, our God is the perfect Father, amen? Perfect Father. We sing songs. He's the good, good Father. Goodness and mercy flow from Him. And we can be certain that He will treat all His children in a fatherly manner that is for our good and for his glory without exceptions, without exceptions. And one way to know that God is your heavenly father is if he disciplines you. That's what these verses are telling us. This is the fatherliness that we see. If you have children, you know how this works. My children know that I am their father because I discipline and train them. I've got four children who know me as father, I don't go into the neighborhood and go around busting open doors, training all the children in the neighborhood. Why? Because all the children in the neighborhood are not my children. They're just children in the neighborhood. I have got four children, though, whom I know to be my children. They know me to be father. Children may come and go into our house, but the privilege of discipline, and I use that word very specific, the privilege of discipline is reserved for those in the family, in the Davis family. 
And so think about the comfort discipline can provide. Now, you might be saying, I don't know if I can follow you here because you just said discipline can be something that's comforting. And he's going to admit down in verse 11 that there comes a moment in time when all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but something painful can actually be comforting. Going through a hard, hard, hard circumstance can actually bring a form of comfort in our lives. And so just think about the comfort discipline can provide when we recognize that a father disciplines those who are his children. In a mysterious way that we far too often overlook, discipline can actually bring comfort to a child because discipline reminds that child you really do belong in this family. So I look at my children and I explain things to them and I say, listen, I'm not going around doing these things to all the children. I only do them to you. And what that means is you are actually in the Davis family. This is meant to bear comfort on their soul that you are receiving this because I am your father. And this is because of what verse 8 says. Verse 8 says, if you are left without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Despite a parent's profession of love, their lack of discipline actually speaks a contrary word and can bring confusion to that parent, to that child in that moment. But for a parent to say, I love you too much to not discipline you, in that moment, what they're doing is they're imaging the Heavenly Father more than they could ever possibly know. So you see, if you grew up in a home where your father was measured, he was kind, he was patient and loving, he pointed you to Jesus as they modeled their fatherhood after the fatherhood of God, then the chances are really, really good that there came a point in your life where you respected him which is the proper response, verse 9 says, to earthly fathers who disciplined us. Thus, says the author, shall we not be much more subject to the Father of spirits and live? Think it out, he's saying. If the discipline of our earthly father did us good, then we should happily submit to the good father's good discipline. A discipline, he says in verse 9, which will actually bring us ultimately the life that we need. Now, what you and I know is this, is that the best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. And even the best father in the world is going to fail miserably. They're going to act out in sin. They're going to say things that they're going to regret, say things they may not ever regret to their dying day. They may have mistreated you and abused you in ways that you would never wish on your worst enemy. But what you can know and rest on in that moment is that even if your earthly father never did an ounce of good towards those who are his children, our heavenly father is not that way. And he is the giver of all good things, which is why we must lastly remember God's blessings. And that's what we see in verses 10 and 11 is to remember God's blessings. Look at your Bible, starting in verse 10. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, he says. 
But he, that is God, the heavenly father, disciplines us for our good that we might actually share his holiness, he says. There is purpose to our suffering and hardship, brothers and sisters. There is just absolute purpose. No matter how painful the problem or how hard the hardship might be, in God's sovereignty, nothing, and I mean nothing, absolutely nothing, is wasted in your life. If you know your Bibles, then you know the story of Joseph. And after many years of unimaginable adversity, in his race of faith, it was this singular truth that in God's sovereignty, nothing is wasted. It was this singular truth that led Joseph to be able to look in his brother's faces in Egypt, the place where he landed up because they sold him into slavery, by the way. He was able to look at their faces and say, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Earthly fathers discipline us for a short time as it seems best to them. And a lot of fathers stumble and fall along the way, but our Heavenly Father is not like that. He just flat out disciplines for our good. And the overflow of His goodness results in two incredible blessings. One is that we come to share in God's holiness. Discipline from God changes us. It conforms us. It molds us and it transforms us into the image and the likeness of Jesus. It's discipline from God which changes us so that we might be holy as he is holy. If you know your Bible, there's commands from the living God where he looks at those who are his own and says, you need to be holy as I am holy. And we look at that and go, how in the world does that even remotely begin to take place? How does that play out in my life? And here's an answer from Hebrews chapter 12. It's through the discipline of God. He molds you and conforms you to be holy as he is holy. And then the other blessing is that God's discipline, it says there in verse 11, is that it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. Now, we may not see this clearly at present. True statement in verse 11, is it not? One of the more truthful statements that give us all a sigh of relief. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant in the moment. Amen? When mama or daddy or got the wooden spoon out or got the belt and they look at you and say, this hurts me more than it hurts you, and you're just like, if that's the case, man, then you probably shouldn't do it. I'd hate to see you hurt, mom. You know, I don't want to see you in pain, dad. There comes some form of discipline in that moment, and it not only seems painful, but it can be painful, and it is painful. No child in the history of mankind says, here's from a father, here's from a mother, discipline's coming your way. I said, do this. You did not do this. It was just a flat-out, defiant, rebellious act of disobedience. And so to help you know that that is unhealthy for your soul, I'm going to discipline you. No child jumps up and down and says, this is going to be pleasant. Give me more of this. No, no child does this. No child does this. At present, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant in the moment. But for those who have been trained by that discipline, they grow and they mature in a way that the earthly mother or father knows is best for them. And the author is just saying it's the exact same way for the heavenly father. 
For those who have been trained by God's discipline and continue to be trained by his discipline, we have the promise that this discipline will bear the fruit of righteousness. It will conform us more and more and more into the right God that we love, worship, and serve. So brothers and sisters, if the race of faith, think about what the author's been saying. If the race of faith is marked by rejecting every weight and sin, if it's marked by running while looking to and considering Jesus, then we can also say from these verses that the race of faith is marked by the good discipline of a heavenly father who loves enough to discipline us so that we might run the race of faith with endurance to the end. If you have been on the receiving end of God's discipline, my encouragement to you is this, don't forget. Remember, this is a heavenly Father verifying to you, you are my son. You are my daughter. I want to see you run the race. I want to see you endure to the end. I want to see you not only walk by faith and run by faith, but I want to see you die with an absolute rock-solid assurance in the faith that saves, a faith grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to see you run the race in that way. And so I'm going to discipline you along the way so that you might grow. Now, some of us are here this morning, and you might be able to say this, man, I know nothing of the discipline of the Heavenly Father. I know nothing of this discipline. Verse 8 is probably more true than you might be willing to admit. If you are left without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. But you need to know this this morning. That those five testimonies that we saw this morning stand as a moment of preaching the good news to you. Because you saw five people say this, I once was not in the family of God. But King Jesus has saved me and he's transferred me from the domain of darkness and he's transplanted me into the kingdom of King Jesus. I am now truly a child of God. I have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And I know this, I was once an illegitimate child, but I'm now a legitimate child. God has caused me to be born again. And the invitation of verses centered on the discipline of the Heavenly Father actually stand as an invitation to you this morning. Don't leave here this morning knowing yourself to be illegitimate outside the family of God when you can repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus, and be adopted into the family of God knowing eternal life found in him. Amen? All right, let's pray. King Jesus, you are that. You are king. You are savior. You are good. You are worthy to be praised above all things. And that is my hope, is that you would receive the glory and the honor from our time spent in your word this morning. Lord, help us to do what I mentioned at the beginning. Help us not to just be hearers of the word, but doers. And the way we can be a doer right now is to truly contemplate, truly think, truly consider Jesus, look to him, and ask, Jesus, if these things are true, and they are, what does this mean for me?
So Lord, move in a mighty way. Holy Spirit, convict us so that we would leave here this morning different than the way we walked in. Christ, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen.